Hello and welcome to the Metro Lab podcast, the podcast where we discuss different perspectives on the role of metropolitan regions in the climate crisis and their paths towards climate neutrality. In several episodes, we want to discuss different topics that play a major role in contributing to greenhouse gas emissions and which are part of our day-to-day -day life. At the heart of each episode is an exchange between international and local representatives working on the topic. We want to address challenges and highlight positive approaches, set them in spatial context and be thought-provoking. In today's episode, we will talk about possible levers to decrease greenhouse gas emissions through restructuring business models, collaboration and the potential role of metropolitan areas in promoting these changes. We invited two guests whose work is focused around these topics. I would like to welcome Helene Batemann, Head of Community and Circular Economy at the Climate Lab in Vienna, and Alexander Prinsen, who joins us today from the Netherlands. He is a circular innovation expert and advises companies on strategies for regenerative and resilient business models. I would like to start and ask you, Helene, that you would talk a little bit about the Climate Lab, how it was created and your role as head of community and circular economy. Hi, and thank you for inviting me to be um, as a guest in this podcast. Um, Climate Lab uh, started in September 2022. Um, it's an innovation space in Vienna um, that brings together a vibrant community of climate pioneers, um, um, cities, um, but also the ministry and big industry players to really have an impact on climate neutrality in Austria. The idea was created three or four years ago um, together as Impact Hub as the owner of Climate Lab, EIT, um, Climate Kick and Wien Energie, the, the Austrian's largest energy provider. And they had the idea to create a space where people can come together, where we can foster innovation and collaboration. Um, yeah, my my role as a community lead is um, a very nice job to talk with a lot of cool people and find out what their needs are, how we can help them as a community and bring them together in, in curated events to, um, yeah, to foster their collaboration and innovation. And for the circularity week, we have um, Additionally to the climate neutrality focus, we have also uh, our, um, our mission to um, support the rollout of the circular economy and the circular economy strategy in Austria and support this with events and programs. Thank you very much. And Alexander, can you tell us about your work as a consultant, maybe a little bit about, about your path into this career and what kind of companies you're working with? Yes, uh, thank you. First of all, Marie. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Um, a little bit about me and, and what I'm doing. Um, I'm founder and managing partner of Scope Matters. Uh, we are a group of innovation and transitions experts, and we assist our clients to adapt towards more resilient uh, business models. And, and what we do is we help our clients bridge ecological thinking with economic doing. We do that by applying systems thinking to uh, each challenge. And our clients are large, small, medium enterprises, consultancy agencies, uh, architects, urban planners, uh, governmental organizations. And as such, we operate inside value chains in all industries and service sectors. And you asked me, Marie-Therese, 
about my path towards where I'm now. Uh, that started around my mid-30s, where I started. And I think like many of us, I question the way how we do business and how our supply chains are structured and also what kind of products we have. And that was around 2010. And the result was that I decided to go on a global research project uh, to understand from the innovators themselves, from the uh, scientists and also designers, what it is they're doing and, and what they are doing to change uh, the future. And um, the result was a deep dive, which I didn't realize before I started, into physics, biology, and green chemistry. Uh, because as it turns out, natural science is at the core of everything we do, and especially at the core of uh, climate change and uh, circularity. And more importantly, it's also how our spaceship Earth operates, and we tend to forget that in our daily lives. And now it's 10 years later, and I'm sharing all these insights with my clients uh, to show them that there is a path towards circularity, resilience, um, and that it requires a, a different set of a different mindset and a different way of looking at how we're doing business. Well, thank you very much, both of you, and welcome. Thank you again for taking the time. And I would like to start with a fact or maybe some a realization that in industrialized countries and especially in urban areas, we've been very used to the fact that most goods are available to us with little to no waiting time. And we did not really, or not the most part of us, we've not really been questioning where and how these goods have been produced. But now, also through the climate crisis, it is bringing forward these processes more and more into our awareness. And through that, it imposes profound challenges but also changes on companies to restructure their way of producing and their business models. So in the Climate Lab, you mentioned you're working towards connecting companies, startups, and innovators to work together across industries and sectors. So Helene, how are you fostering innovation and initializing those profound changes necessary within your community? And where do you see the biggest benefits of those collaborations already maybe today, but also for the future? for people in your network to reach their their goals, their climate goals or climate neutrality goals. Yeah, so we we have this clear focus on on climate neutrality. So we like uh, promote that um, all the the partners and the startups and the members who who sign up to be part of this community really have this overarching focus on climate neutrality and circular economy. And this already this focus is very helping because um, the community, they're very relevant to each other. They are all like somehow connected with the interest and the and the direction they're going, even though it's different approaches. Um, we have the the focus underneath is the is the mobility construction energy sector. So we wanted to really start with this focus that has the most impact on CO two emissions. Um, then. What the, the benefits are is like we we establish a culture that is really collaborative and you know, innovative, and we all the, all the new members and partners we have onboarding sessions with them, and we like have a, a, a booklet where we like I'm sure what our mission is and what our um, manifest is, and that we want to be an open collaborative community that helps each other and that learns from each other and. For this, we have regular events that that also like in, make it really happen, not just on paper, but in, 
in reality. And so we have every week a community event where we just come together in an easy way, like with a little bit of food and coffee or drinks. Um, so like either breakfast or lunch. And we try to include the the principles of this community into this. So we have at the lunch, we always ask the community member to share like some knowledge that we can learn from each other. At the breakfast, we always share challenges from the community and ask the community to brainstorm together. So, um, And then we have deep dives, as we call them, an event series where we try to go into the topic of energy, mobility, or H2, or, or something like specific, the topic to really like dive deep and learn that uh, what the community knows about this. And we also asked about the, the benefits. Or like I, I talk with a lot of community members and I, I get a lot of positive feedback that it's really cool for them to meet like new people and get inspired to like look deeper in this, read this book and see what other companies are doing. So this exchange and meeting people that they usually wouldn't meet is a, is a big benefit. Both of you in general, in your experience working with these companies, is it always easy or always very helpful for them to work together across sectors or other problems that surface that don't make it possible even when the idea and the intentions would be there it is all about a coalition of the willing um, and that, that is what collaboration is about do you trust each other to do something new do you trust each other to move in a certain direction um, if you're in a network where people put all the cards to the chest innovation will not happen it's only in 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 in, in a yeah, let's say community uh, where where the partners want to move together forward is that that is where innovation will happen and that's where 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 companies or conglomerates will overcome the issues because you know to innovate is not easy and the challenges we face require restructuring of reg regulations restructuring of uh, legislation restructuring in the way how we do business restructuring our technological challenges um, and that requires that everybody has a dialogue, and we tend to we tend to be comfortable with a discussion. Only in a discussion, it's always yes and no, and it's never yes and. And only in a dialogue, you build upon each other. And and currently in our society, if 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 you see with the transitions happening on so many areas, polarization is is an outcome of. Of, of those who are not willing to move forward and are willing not to change. And it's it's the biggest challenge is to bridge those uh, uh, perceptions and, and move to forward together with the same vision of how the future would look like. Yeah, I would also like to add, like I think a lot is like inspiration and seeing what other people do, being motivated by like information events and exchange events where there's not like yet really collaboration on a deeper level and then sometimes it makes sense you identify for this it would be really beneficial to work together and sometimes you take it then home to your company and say like why not take it in on internally this challenge but I think that that's also a big benefit even if it doesn't end up in a in a collaboration on a on a between like two businesses but just the inspiration and then bringing it forward in your own company and but the main reason for the climate lab is also what alexander just mentioned that for the big challenges we can't solve them in within a sector or within a company no matter how big it is that needs this 
um, like um, exchange with like more innovative ideas from small startups and like from other companies and learning from different sectors and applying the, the things that make sense on your own. So I think there's many wins that are not like happening in a, in a merge or in a joint project. And to go to the next topic in companies, it's often about economic growth. I looked it up in the Cambridge Dictionary and it is referred to an increase of economics, economy of a country or an area, especially on the value of goods and services that a country or an area are producing. So it is often referred to when talking about the state of an economy or even is an incentive for decision making. So we were wondering to what degree should economy, economic growth influence the decision for business models and is economic growth hindering or enabling our aspiration of a future that is within our planetary boundaries? You're, you're asking macro and micro economics, so it's, it's, it's important to distinguish them. Um, have you also looked up what the word economy means? from Greek, it actually, it actually means bookkeeping of the house. So if economics means bookkeeping and, and our house is our planet, it's about the, the bookkeeping system of our planet. And then you're talking about basically molecules and how the molecules move within the planet. Um, and then it's also the link to planetary boundaries is quite easily made as a result. Um, interesting enough, um, it also refers to how nature is running its bookkeeping system. And if you look, if you look at growth, growth is, is sort of a measure how much we produce. And then you can have the question that what we produce in a linear way turns out to be a lot of waste. So the more waste we produce creates economic growth, which, which is, which is, which is strange in a sense. Uh, and if you look from a natural nature point of view, nature grows always and yet in abundance and economics, especially from a, from a micro point of view, wants to create scarcity, wants to move to monopoly, bigger, bigger, bigst. Nature does not have that. Um, and nature strives for biodiversity, for abundance and, and growth is a result of a, of a complex system with a lot of interaction. So there is a, there is a human, there is a, let's say, uh, um, I mean, I, for those who, who did not read the book of Kate Rodo, uh, uh, the Donut Economics, she wrote, uh, uh, Ray Worth, sorry, Kate Ray Worth, she wrote in the beginning of her book, uh, she explored the beginning of economics. And all those economists agreed on the fact that the economy is bound by its planetary boundaries. So there is no endless growth. Growth will always flatten. So if you have an, and an growth as we know is exponential. So if you have an economic growth annually of 2%, an economy goes out of control. If you look at nature, nature goes out of control. So when you use exponential quantities and volume, so check and balances is important. And when is big, big enough for whom? And, and there are economies who have a GDP of zero and they are thriving only not by the economic standard. Using using economic growth is not anymore the right measurement because we know that our economies have are flattening and, and we have already done everything we could do. We all only we, we, we forgot to reuse our waste streams and, and that is 
and that is cascading into climate change and all the other issues we are facing now today. And when exchanging or talking to the companies you two are working with, and when you tell them this like this, is this something that is accepted by them? Yeah, it's, it, it, this is a very big topic and a very short podcast to do into. Um, it, it, it has to do with sus the sustainability of a business. And business can only be sustained if it makes a profit to sustain itself in the future. Interesting enough, I mean, I, I predominantly work with family-owned businesses and they have a time horizon of 20, 30, 40 years. They always look forward and they always look, they always ask the question, how would, how would the company look like when I have my uh, successes? So that this, the, the, their decision framework is much more in, into the future and, and, and much more, okay, what is our contribution to society? They have much more ethics in, in them. And then growth, growth can be in in um, more uh, a, a more product uh, diversification. If your portfolio is 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 strong and broad, you always can move with the with the economic, uh, let's say, um, up upturn and downturn. Because then, okay, then the demand for a certain prototype is less. Then we can move towards another one. They are more resilient in that way. Um, and and if you look. To corporates, which most of them have stocks that traded on the stock market, they tend to focus on the short term. I mean, their return on investment is maximum two years. You you cannot do circular innovation on an ROI of two years because it, it, it requires much deeper technological transformation. And and they are not able to do that as, as such. Uh, and, and for them, is growth is more market share, higher prices, getting the population addicted to certain products, S selling more for higher prices. Yeah, that has worked for a very long time. Only today we're, st we're starting to realize that a lot of these, uh, let's say, uh, MBA type of managers uh, is backfiring. Our, our bodies are getting polluted. Our, our agricultural soils are getting polluted. Pollution is now a is an outcome of the way we tend to run business, especially from a corporate point of view. And then, yeah, then then, then you start to question the notion of growth. Growth has led to this, so maybe we should move away from, from, from getting bigger, bigger, bigger. Maybe too big, is, too big is not the solution. I can also add to this that in one workshop we had like a, a big core as a, a person from a corporate um, company and he said that he, he needs to fill out Excel sheets and he needs like... Um, it's hard because the economy is changing and so many frameworks are not clear, like how will they be? Like, for example, the CO2 price, how will it develop? And so investment and, and innovation is hard to make now the decision and to sell it to your upper manager and say, we should do this and it makes sense because we have to expect this CO2 price. And so I think for this, what Alexandra said also mentioned is like, when you have to prove it in numbers, it's very hard because we're in a transforming economy. And, and something else I wanted to add is is the fact that the well-being of like us, so we are destroying our our um, earth and our our planet with the um, how we do business right now for over the last hundred years. And but people are also not happy like this materialized. Um, way of thinking an economy where we connect our happiness to what we own and what we have is we see that it's clearly not working but we need to shift 
for like it's a very big social transformation like when we now our our economy is bound to resources and that we buy and waste things and we for a circular economy we need to transform this that like we rent instead of buying and we we pay for a service um, that we don't own and so many resources can be saved and shared and i think ideally also one motivation for me to work in this field is because i have this ambition that it will be nicer like <laughs> not only because we have to change it but because there will be like a lot of nature and bikes and kids running around and, and great trains and everything is much easier than in the traffic jam like i think that we need to rethink um, how it can be and have like positive pictures of how it could be but it's hard when you have to work in in numbers and excel sheets uh, sheets to really like market that yeah well, helen is that is a really good example that most companies are focused on selling 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 and for instance the iphone the old iphone used to be extremely repairable and now they have stopped making them repairable and they, 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 the an iphone comes to the market every two every one every year or every two years and their business model is 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 now at the at its end the, the phones are there the technology is there but a new generation phone what what i mean everything is already in the phone uh, and and ideally their business should be people should use their phones as long as they can and we just make the parts interchangeable i mean i find it ridiculous that i have to throw away my iphone after the after the software will not update anymore to a newer version it's a really good functioning phone everything is still there only the software is is holding it back and and that and and then and then where you wait where do you leave the phone you have to throw it away or you, these are very strange things that business is taught to that selling is the only way for a sustainable business model sell sell as much as you can and and find new upgrades convince people that a new phone is better than the old one the 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 marketing departments are also one a big problem of this whole issue where we are in now they tend to they give you a feeling that certain things are better than other things but you can question that today i mean it's what helens is our well-being is not defined by what we have it's the defined who we are yet business economics is defined by what we have because then you can show off that you are different and yet we're all we're all the same we all have microbes fungi viruses on our bodies inside our bodies uh, we we are a natural uh, operating system and materialism is not really use yeah doesn't add anything to that and and then on if you if you if you extend that go to the ancient civilizations like the Maoris or the aboriginals or, or the amazon people their well-being is defined by nature uh, what they see what they hear what they learn what they how they engage with that that is for them materialism and the profound knowledge they have aboriginals have stories going back i think it's 100,000 years they they know what happened 100,000 years ago through the history of 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 conversations westerns don't don't know anymore I mean, you're happy if you know your grand-grandfather, but further than that, we cannot go. If you go in Africa, they know they know their ancestors still. So it's 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 also the the the, the more Western society becomes, the less they are attached to their to their past, and the more they tend to forget. And 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 marketing tells us that that 
that forget your past, move to the future and, and get as much as you can. And when you talk to your to the businesses you're working with, do you have like main pillars or the characteristics of this of a regenerative and resilient business model? Helen mentioned it in a, in a in a in a thing you used the word common sense. Uh, but it is it is it is common sense. It's log everything is logic, logic reasoning, and, and just apply common sense. Physics, biology, and chemistry tells and defines us everything we need to know. To know, the word sustainable means the ability to sustain, and it and it it contains operating criteria, design criteria, how things should be, um, and it's all derived for how nature operates. Don't make stuff that cannot degradate. Is nature makes everything that is able to degradate. Uh, wood can, can wood takes time to degradate, so it it designed fungi to do that work. A fungi takes twenty thirty years to break down an old piece of wood, uh, but eventually it will break down because the lignin is the is the tricky part, and only fungi fungi can break down lignin. We design chemicals polymers which cannot break down in, under natural circumstances, which is ridiculous. We have now PFAS in our body, we have PET in our body, we have all the shit in our body because we designed it to out, outlive ourselves. Now it actually is doing, which is ridiculous because plastic needs how long? Packaging material needs maybe a week, two weeks to go from, 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 from the producer to the consumer. Then it can be gone. So we, we, we should stop designing for eternity, but we just, just should design for, for the short, short cycle if, if it is purposed for. Or d let it degradate by sunlight, salt, or other chemical uh, interactions that, that normally polar mates will break down. Um, and it's, it's not much more difficult than that. I did a keynote for the, for, um, uh, the Dutch Turf Association, artificial turf. And, and what I learned during the research is that actually there are, finally there are chemical engineers who now redesign fossil fuels into biodegradable polymers. And fossil fuel is bio-based. I mean, originally it, it, it is from uh, algaes or trees, swamps. That's where it comes from, gas and oil. It's, it is 100 bio-based and we synthesize it to 100% non-bio-based. So we, we, we can do it. But this just it, it means that business leaders need to take the responsibility and the shareholders need to take the responsibilities and the investors need to take responsibilities and the pension funds need to take the responsibilities that they only will invest in companies that actually are contributing to the well-being of our planet. And all, and, and all the others change or die. There's, there is no road in between. But in your experience, what are the biggest concerns? of companies taking that change on? Is it mostly this growth idea? No, 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 no. It's more practical. It's, it's innovation capacity. Are the goods available? Are the, um, for instance, um, just a couple of days ago, IKEA announced that they finally have a bio-based binder for their plywood. It's actually a Canadian company uh, who was working on that, on that innovation for the last 20 years. And suddenly now it's market ready. And now suddenly the plywood of IKEA is almost getting 100% bio-based, biodegradable. But these innovations take time and it, it, it requires a, a uh, yeah, let's say, a value chain which, which dares to be different. And then 
the technology can scale up because then the costs go down and then you can start competing with the existing polluting uh, polymers. But it, it's a long it's a long road and, and and a lot of hesitation of existing companies because taking a risk means that you also can lose. Um, and how and how does that work? And 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 does your current company structure allow for that? You see, most companies design a second uh, entity separate of the existing company, just just to make sure that 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 the transition to a new product portfolio is not interrupting the existing cash flow. Because once you put them in the, in, in the same entity, you will get a collision that will not work. So once you put the startup outside of your corporate entity, then it can grow and it can move into its own direction. And you can slowly phase out yeah, the toxic or the polluting one. It's, 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 ha- it's hard work. Uh, and if you look at the innovation uh, graveyard, there are a lot of startups and ideas that has not m- made it because of funding, because of the wrong team, because of the wrong investors, because of the wrong time, there are many reasons why something will not will not work. And Helena, what is your experience of companies when they have concerns or are most of the companies coming to you already, like they already have this mindset of they, they want to change? Yeah, I think a lot of our partners, they are like industry leaders. And so they have an innovation department they um, know the regulations that will come up and so they're aware that they have to act now to be ready to um, when it starts and I think that but still within and, and not I can't think of anything specific but just as a more general view of, of how I see it is that I think many people like with everything not many people are early adopters and want to be the first because you have a lot of risk and you have a lot of uncertainty about how the market will react and most people want to play it safe and and be like let's see if the others do the first step and so that's why i think it's important to showcase best practices and and do first steps and find like sandbox things and small products that you can test or, or do like programs and workshops so listen i think this like speaking about the about the big um businesses that are aware of the of the changing market but i think then there's a big the the biggest part of the of the businesses are not fully aware of what is changing and coming what is ahead and so we also have like some members who do like education and trainings especially for smaller smes to raise awareness and to make them ready for the big changes and inform them and as alexander said that they are more able to then react once you convince them that it's important for not just their their children and grandchildren, but also for the existence of their company, that they, they have a big advantage if they already now deal with it and invest in that innovation because they need, then they will be the first ones who can react once like CO2 prices are changing or, or things like this. And I think that there's still a big portion of the society who is not fully aware that there are big changes coming and it's not just because i think they will come i think it's from regulations from eu directives so there are really a lot of things that are happening and will happening in the near future that will change how business has to be done and so yeah i think that's the 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 opportunity but also the challenge for people who's doing the first step yeah to add on that helene change of transition that we're going through is also a leadership challenge 
and requires some visionary leadership from these companies and and also from from our uh, civil servants. And only the clients, my clients, who already know that change is coming, they are adapting their organization to capitalize on that change. They know in which direction they want to head to. They know what design criteria are are part of that. And basically, the, every decision they make, they, they, they're going through a checklist. Is it contributing, yes or no? In what way? Yes or no? Yes or no? And if it ha- if it, it has a cross, then then it means, okay, this is not the direction we're moving into. Uh, we, we, uh, on the other hand, there is so much already happening. And most companies are within their own value chain, and that can be a bubble. Um, if you know that the, that the largest steel manufacturer, for instance, in Belgium, ArcelorMittal, which is responsible, I think, for 20 to 40% CO2, I don't know exactly the, the numbers, they are already converting their CO2, and they're turning out to be the biggest supplier of chemical drop-ins, which means that they are producing chemicals for the chemical industry. So they produce steel, and their byproduct is chemical ingredients, and they're using bacteria to do that work with a company uh, originally from from New Zealand, uh, Lanzatech, and they can produce almost 25 chemicals, that bacteria. So CO2 suddenly is not an is not an issue anymore. They produce steel, and the and all the flue gases goes to bacteria, and the bacteria turn them all into chemicals. And and then you add a chemical company to it, and it t- turns into now, for instance, PAT or whatever you want. And then you, then it, the question remains: Do you want to still burn fossil fuels um, in the way that we're doing now, and and having all the issues of, of finding fossil fuels? Um, well, that, that is a different, a different question, a different narrative. Uh, but the, the whole, the whole challenge about climate change, and you're calling it emi- emissions. If, if if you just use common sense, wasting molecules is the stupidest thing you can do. Also, from a business perspective, you already paid for it, and you're throwing it away. That is stupid business. Those entrepreneurs who are smart are turning all their waste streams into a new product flow in a with an high value. So if you have a lot of emissions or what what reason or whatever, you convert your emissions into into chemicals and turn the chemicals into products you can use again, and preferably preferably polymers you can biodegrade again. But that is that's a material science challenge, and and and, and we can do that. That's already known. Um. So so basically, in climate change is sort of like the the uh, in Dutch we say tick tick your nose. Um. Uh, we walk against the window now. Nature's just telling, okay, you guys, you just screwed up, and we're moving, we're moving in in our direction because that's how s- system dynamics works in nature. And you guys just figure out whether you're going to survive or not. And if you if you convert emissions, wastewater, and solid waste into products again, you close the material loop. We don't need more new fossil fuels because everything is already there. If you if you increase the speed. Of, of the molecular flow, there is enough for everybody. It's only the business model of producing, wasting, selling as much material to humans, that, that model is, is, is moving away, is, is losing, because we, we do not need more stuff. We do not need five smartphones. We only need one smartphone, one bike, whatever, and then you can do your calculations. That's, that's how much you need. And mobility is another, is an, is another issue, because you know what? What the fun part is, those who design the car forget to put a extra tank in the car to collect the emissions of a 
petrol car. The, the, the biggest weak point of combustion is that we never took into account that the emissions are cash flow. Actually a product, we just waste them. Put up an airplane and, 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 and have, an, have the exhaust turn into a tank and then we have no, have no issues in the air. So that's combustion. So that's how we created combustion because that it, it, it produces on the short term energy we needed, but we forgot that the output is also a product. And then the whole concept of climate change and, and, and waste and emissions just just starts to flip. Yeah, I think we just have to flip that switch quite fast because if we want to change the whole system, and as you both already mentioned, it takes time. It's not working from one day to the other. It's very important that we start soon on a big scale. Yeah, we have to start yesterday. The thing is, there's a the somebody t the, somebody did a a presentation or um, a comment on a big uh, stakeholder and uh, no, a shareholder meeting, and he called that there are especially those with invested interests. They start they have now become professional laggers. They do everything in their power to drag the transition because it's not in their benefit because their business model will be destroyed. And if if you if companies start to acknowledge, okay, I'm the one who is going to be screwed. My business model will not succeed in the future. So then 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 we then we then it's transparent, and we need to be honest about it. It's gonna it's gonna give a lot of pain for a lot of companies and accept the pain because it's same with personal transition. If you want to move towards a direction, you need to acknowledge where you came from, and that hurts and it requires reflection. So the whole the whole climate change and circular economy or sustainability it, it, in the end it's a personal journey and do you dare to reflect to yourself what your contribution is to society and do you acknowledge that it contains pain and are you willing to transcend through the pain but i want to add something on a, on a more positive <laughs> note but this that i think i know that we live also in hard times we have a lot of challenges we know that there's a lot of pressure of acting and and a lot of like fear around the whole topic but I think also there's a lot of, it's an exciting time. Like I was said, like I don't run a, a business or things, so I don't have the pain in that sense. But I think for all these innovation departments or for the businesses and stuff, I think it's an exciting time where we still feel like at least if we, we can, if we want to be optimistic that maybe we can turn it around. And, and we can do it already tomorrow and then everything is already there. I know. And that's what I also thought, like we don't, I think it's, there's so many parts in this ecosystem to change something that that's not so easy to make them all move. But if they would all move, I think it would be, it could change fast. It's done within 10 years. But I think, and also like at, at the climate lab and, and being active in this field, I think it's very interesting because like there's so many ways and possibilities and it's exciting to see like, oh, if we do this, then maybe we can have an impact and so I think it's, yeah, to end on, to add something on a positive note. Yeah, and, and I, I, want, I, wa I want to add something to that, and, and, and it's also a positive note. Um, if we want to move to the moon or to Mars, we cannot move without our planet, without our own ecosystem. We cannot move without the viruses, the bacteria, the fungi, the plants, and the animals. Without them, there is no human. So if we, if if we if we want to move to Mars, we need to learn how how Earth operates. Otherwise, we'll never be a, a space traveling species. 
um, because once once our body is, let's say, how do you call it in English? Um, oh, how do you call that? Um, st sterile. We die. We have no bacteria, and the bad fungi take over. And and it's 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 not more difficult than that. We need to understand how the planet works before we can move to Mars. So we 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 need to move fast to understand how the whole system operates. To jump back in scale and come a little bit closer again, we concentrate mostly on the metropolitan scale. And so we were wondering if you two think that in order to reach this 10-year frame that Alexander, you mentioned, to get all these parts moving, do you think organizations like the Climate Lab can scale up? So each country or maybe even metropolitan region should organize some sort of collaboration centers Do you think that would help or do you think it's something we need? Um, I think yes, because I think that um, we just run Climate Lab for a few months and we get a lot of positive feedback and there's a lot of things happening. So I think it's like very beneficial for, for, for many different players. But I think aside from this, like we have the plan now we are in Vienna, but we have the plan to not focus only on projects or partners that are located in Vienna, but also to include all Austria into it and always have the international perspective to bring them into online events and, and learn and, and study other things. But I think that um, the benefit is like for also for creating jobs and keeping like industry um, in like a specific area. If you, provide like those innovation centers somewhere then you have a very big potential to create like local jobs to help your businesses thrive in this community because as we discussed in this podcast there will be there are a lot of challenges right now and also in the near future ahead and without innovation we won't be able to tackle them so i think providing space for innovation and connecting it with corporates but also with SMEs as they are the majority of the, the economy. Like I think it's it's very important to provide um, spaces like this. And after the pandemic, um, I think the the quality of having really a physical space where you can laugh and drink coffee and meet other people has also a very big um, quality that we shouldn't underestimate. And Alexander, what would you think? How can we get all the parts moving? What would be a good strategy? Having a common vision of the future. And uh, that is basically the essence. Um, do we tolerate waste? Do we tolerate emissions? If the, if the answer is no, um, that's an incentive to change. That's an incentive to close the loops. Um, nature is so very clear about design principles, how to design a ecosystem, functioning ecosystem or functioning uh a bookkeeping system if you go back to economics. They wrote the book of economics already long, long time ago. It's around 3.8 billion years ago. They know how economics works, the natural bookkeeping works. If we if we adapt to that and, and follow that, we have the thriving planet like Helen already dreams of. Um, and, and then it can be done. Uh, but it, it, it requires a change of... of, of Power, it's it, 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 the, the perspective and everything, and having hubs like Climate uh, Launchpad is good because it helps people to talk to each other, to share the common 
common future, to share the common vision and, and talk about perspectives. We need a lot of talk, a lot of education, a lot of reframing of things. And that can only be done if you have a, a, a community structure where there is trust and, and uh, respect to each other. Um, and local is the only way forward. Most innovators are somewhere in a, in a, in a farm shed creating beautiful things um, and only their local community knows that. that. But if you have a, a group of people who understand this could be the solution of things we need, then it can grow. Uh, it's, and then it's the conversation about the first follower, which is a great YouTube video um, about how change is happening. And in, in the end, we all, all want our local community to become better. And that's where everything has to change. That's where it starts. Because only there you can have impact. You know everybody and you can talk, uh, uh, what do you call it, industry. We have a, uh, let's, how do I translate it? Strange. Then everybody has its responsibility and everybody is accountable for that. In today's, in today's micro and macro economy, we're not accountable for the shit we produce. And that needs to change and that can only be changed by legislation. And legislation is coming very fast from the European Union. And interesting enough, they, they tend to start following the design principles of nature. Those companies who have no waste have no issues with the European directives because they're, not, uh, they're already compliant with that. Everybody who is not compliant has the problem now. But you also think that we need the legislation to change in order for companies or bigger... Yeah, for example, to, to, to refer back to the Netherlands... Um, we have a lot of crises at the moment. For the water directive, we 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 realize that our um, surface water is polluted almost seventy percent. Um, we realize that our agricultural land is polluted. Uh, we realize that plastic is in our body. Citizens decided to put out um, measurement systems in their local community to see whether the industry that's there is actually within the permit they have. The conclusion? No, they're not within the permit. They're far out of the permit. Then the local, the local, what do you call it, um, uh, environmental agency had to review their models and said, okay, indeed, you you guys are are right. And now the legislation is is the permit is getting stronger and stronger, more stricter to the company. So when when citizens take the responsibility and start measuring and, and gather data and show that actually companies are polluting and it is actually not within the permit then also things start to change. Then you can show them, okay, this is not, this is not how you, this is not your license to operate. So it's a, it's a two-way direction. Um, take your responsibility as a citizen and have a conversation with companies and show them whether they are not within the permit or not. And it's then up to the company whether they have a license to operate. My clients are predominantly larger SMEs. They have a vision of the future. They want to have an op a license to operate uh, and they want to contribute to the local community. Um, so it's it's there where the sh shift towards circular, regenerative, emission-free is so much faster. Uh, they seek out the innovations globally and, and implement that very fast into the organization. And those cases are, are mounting very fast that it, that it can be done. And it's, it is a privilege to, to advise and work for them because it's, 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 it, it's a really good conversations about, uh, about ethics uh, philosophy, but also how to turn it into an actual business plan and actual innovation strategy. They know what needs to be done. It's just a matter of connecting the right innovators together and making sure that that that, that it gets implemented. And 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 that brings so much energy, as Alain mentioned, 
it's so much fun when 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 these guys step into this in this into the same room and realize they have the same shared vision they have this the, the same goals for the future and then boom it's implemented i think unfortunately the time is running away from us and i know the topic is vast and we could talk another two hours probably i at the end of each conversation we always like to ask our guests to share free projects or concepts or initiatives groups ideas that they think are visionary projects working on a society of tomorrow and we would also like you to share them and maybe you can go alternating and helene maybe you would like to start yeah um I wanna. I, I thought of like projects to share for this, like that we are working on in our programs, and and one I'm involved a lot is the, um to a program about eco design and recycling of mattresses in Austria, and so we have a few events and 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 workshops around this topic, and we try to bring the whole supply chain together and say like at the moment it's not possible to recycle mattresses in in Austria, and we have one pint million mattresses every year to go to waste and how can we use this waste as a as a resource and what needs to change and who needs to do things differently and what um, services do we need to apply to make this possible so over the next months we will be working on bringing people together and addressing the the pain points why it doesn't work yet and and what we need to do for making it work in Austria. Thank you. Alexander, would you like to go next? Yes. Um, a very famous project is called Las Gaviotas in Colombia. They have reforested over 4,000 hectares and regenerated the Amazon forest, which uh, which I think is 1,000 kilometers away from the Amazon forest. And it's a small community, and they showed how to be uh, resilient, use everything the forest produces, strive for biodiversity and innovate as much as they can. They have created everything themselves. Um, and it's even for the UN, it's one of those, it has been one of the flagships of how a local community can transform a savanna back into a forest. And uh, uh, yeah, Las Gaviotas in Colombia, it's, it, it, if people do not believe that reforestation is a solution, dive into that case and, and then you will discover that there's so much that Reforestation is so much more we can can be we that can bring us. I mean, even the rain came back, and the water levels turned back. It's it, it, it produced the cascading of opportunities and and resilience back to the local community. So that was project one. Okay, my project two is also something that we are working on and being involved because I feel like I have the the most knowledge to talk about it. Is the a repair hackathon. So we work together with the Viennese Repair Association. And so they have like 150 repair shops in Vienna that are working like, so we need repair for a circular economy, like to make um, products last longer, not just from the design, but there will always be the repair part. And it's a very old craft um, that is also many old people are working in this field. It's not like very attractive field for, uh, I, I finish um, like my education and now I become a repair shop. So it's not so, over the last 50 years, it got very, like not very common for young people to aspire. This is that job. And 
So I think there's a big challenge in, in bringing innovation and technology into that field because it's critical that we will have it in the, in the future. And so we will create, do a hackathon together with the repair people and I know a few of them and the, many of them are retired and they still work in their shop and to bring them together with innovators and tech people. And so I'm looking forward to that result. Thank you very much, Alexander. Second one. Yeah, the, the second flagship is uh, the island El Hierro in the Canaries. Um, they have they are completely energy independent. They are food independent, um, and uh, they realized this. They, they, and they are water freshwater independent. Um, and how did they do that? They they used windmills and water reservoirs. Um, they they turned all the local food waste into compost so they could produce high-quality, high-nutrient-dense nutri food for the local population but and also for the local canary and, and export. And um, they are using electric cars as batteries as an additional to that. And they're using uh, solar and wind to produce hydrogen. And as a result, you also can desalinate water. The beginning was one major mayor who decided this island has to be self-resilient. And he had the help of a lot of smart people over the, over the years. And they suddenly, this is the only island in the world that is completely 100% self-sufficient. Yeah, as a third um, thing I want to mention, it's not really a project, but I thought it's something that is also a different perspective. Like last week, I was at the, at the global climate um, demonstration on Fridays for Future. And my 11-year-old daughter was also there. And I thought that... In the comments I saw on our LinkedIn post about like joining us for the for the demonstration, I thought that I saw many posts of people who said like usually they don't like to go. It's not their comfort zone to go to a demonstration. But this is such an important topic that we all need to like go there. And I think this is something that we should be aware is that we all need to show like on different levels that we want to want it to happen now and that more and more people should go that are not like it's not in their bubble, but to make a statement to also go to like demonstrate. And the third project, um, I have to make a choice because I only can bring three and I, my list is way too long for that. Um, but I've decided to to, to sh uh, give the flagship uh, um, project Novamont in Italy. Um, Novamont decided 20 years ago that they want to change the chemical industry move away from fossil chemicals to uh, green chemistry. And it's the only country in the world where all the oil refineries have converted themselves to biofeedstock. It's the only country in the world where they are turning degraded agricultural land back into production using non-food feedstock. And it's the only country in the world where they are creating bioplastics, which are biodegradable. And this can only be done be because the whole industry, just the whole chemical sector decided, okay, fossil fuels is not the way forward. We're going to move to bio-based. And all the stakeholders have decided that it, that's the only way forward. And it's the, big, it's the biggest concentration of bio-based innovators in, in the world at the moment. And they're producing a lot of great, amazing stuff. So they're connecting bio-based with agriculture and local communities. Thank you. With this inspiring projects and actions, I would like to end our conversation. And I want to thank our guests, Helene Batemann and Alexander Prinsen, for taking the time. 
So we talked about the main levels for decreasing greenhouse gas emissions in the industrial sector, new regenerative business models, and the role of metropolitan regions in promoting new climate-friendly business models. Thank you all for listening. This podcast is produced by the MetroLab, a collaboration of the partnering offices Superveen Urbanism and Coco Architecture, kindly supported by funding through the Vienna Business Agency. My name is Marietale Schweighofer. You can find more information about us, the podcast and other projects, as well as future episodes on our website, metrolab.design. We'll be back with the next episode, where we will talk about the impact of consuming. Mm-hmm.